Whenever I can, I like to go out painting trains. This is a train in Moscow. It turns out if you just bribe the guard, it's easy to paint a train in, in Russia. Welcome back to Radio Juxtapose. My name is Doug Gillen, and on today's episode, we come to you live once again from Ostend in Belgium for the third and final episode from our series with this year's Crystal Ship Mural Festival. Every year, the Crystal Ship Festival brings in artists from all over the world to create new murals across the seaside coastal town of Ostend in Belgium. As part of their program, we were invited to host a live event in the town, giving local art fans a chance to hear first-hand accounts from the artists and gain further insight into the mural industry. For today's episode, we're going to be presenting excerpts from each of the panel guests who were asked to talk about the experience they've had with art in the public space and the impact it can have on the communities in which it exists. Today, you're going to be hearing from the Belgian street artist Jean, the South African curator Melissa Cucci, and the legendary photographer Martha Cooper. As always, all the relevant links and social media handles will be in the show notes of this episode. So you might have heard our first speaker already on Radio Juxtapose as we recorded a full-length deep dive into his practice for his own individual episode. If you have already listened to that, don't worry, there's a completely different conversation. If you haven't and enjoy what you hear, then make sure you go check out his full-length interview after this. Jean is a Belgian street artist that creates playful street scenes with his miniature sanitation workers who are basically doing anything but work. Using cracks in the wall, the high-visibility yellow bin men will be abseiling down buildings. They'll be playing golf, drinking and laughing, or in some breaking out into total chaotic street brawls. His work interacts with the natural environment, completely transforming the look and feel of a street, but as they are so small, you really have to be paying attention to notice them. In this clip that you're about to hear, Jean talks about the relationship street artists have with the audience and the impact he's experienced from his work. Hello, I'm Jean. I'm sober since one week, and this is what I do as work. I'd like to just um, speak about two points that are really important to me. It's uh, the first one would be the the link between an artist and his own work, which is not sometimes what we think, and then the link between the work and the audience, which is the other part which concerned me. There is a, a weird point I experienced since the beginning almost, is that I have the impression that I didn't choose what I'm doing. You could believe that you are the, the, the big master of the, of, that you create the game and then you control everything, but the truth is that you don't really control a lot because uh, for myself, uh, for example, the work came to me naturally as I was a sanitation worker, I started painting them. If I didn't have made that job, I wouldn't have painted that stuff. So it's not like if it was purely my decision to make it. It's just at one point, it, it, yeah, it's, it's just um, come to you. As I was saying uh, about the child, you, you, you made them, you grow them. But at one point, it's ready enough to live its own life. And that's exactly the same uh, points between the artwork and the, the child at that level is that uh, at one point you just release your work and it, it's even more true when you work in the public space it's that at one point you paint it there and it doesn't belong to you anymore it's the audience that will take it for himself and you will never know how it will be 
judge, understood if it will be meaningless for them or not. Uh, you don't have those powers. It's weird to see that you create something, but you don't have that much power on that thing. You never know who your child will cross in his life and he will be maybe totally different than you. He may be uh, straight, gay, and you're not. Uh, it can become, have a different uh, political opinion about life. Uh, it can become fascist, for example, and, and, and we can see that also with artworks. A lot of uh, not only paintings, but also songs are just used by far-right politics people. And I think the artist never wanted that purpose from the beginning. You make the work, but you, 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 you are just like one tiny part of that work because it's not really yours. So that's the first point. The second interesting point for me, there is something at one point, as you can't see really the result of your work, you, you see the result, I mean, but you don't see the impact. What's, what does it change to paint it? So quite quickly, you start asking yourself as an artist, at least I did, is it useful? Why am I doing that? Is it just self-pleasure just because I like to do it and then I do it and, and that's enough to exist? At one point when you see, especially in the world we are living now, where we are all ultra connected, we know exactly what's happened everywhere. You can't just like put, you know, those stuff on the side of your eyes and just look what you are doing. You, you, you have to take part to the rest of the world. And, but still you are doing just your little work. You may have the feeling that you are not helping anyone and, and it just like super selfish action in the end. I don't have a lot of time, the chance to meet the, the persons who, who see my work. Of course, now with the, nowadays with the, with the social, it's easier to have a direct response on what you do, but you don't know the people who will pass in front of it every day. How they, will they react to your job? The, the different point also with a lot of artists, it's that I'm making those super tiny works. So when you make a, a big murals, it have an impact like a symbol. It's something really huge that, and even if you take some really intimist moments, something really little, the fact to put it really huge makes it a symbol, something impacting. But with my tiny works, what's what's the impact? The relationship is more intimate. You 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 take it just for yourself and not like a, a big symbolic message that surround your. Uh, your, uh, your life. Now a lot of uh, friends, people come to me and say, since you are painting those little guys, those little workers, now I see them. I didn't see them before and now I, I watch them and I say hello to them and I thanks them. And I understood that you can have an impact on how people behave with their life. They're, they're, you don't need to just make the big landscape and make a vision. You can also have powers on the yeah, on, a, on your daily life with artwork, the work could create a link with the audience. It's to, sh to change this, the, the way you see your environment. And I couldn't believe I could have that impact also on people with my work. This, you never know what, who and how you will help, uh, help someone. But even if you just help one person, I think it's worth it. So basically that's yeah that's my motivation to continue knowing that i'm just putting one more drop in the ocean but maybe that drop will help someone to drink or to to make a cocktail who knows or beer and that's all i have to say about that
Our next guest is Cape Town-based creative director and curator Melissa Cucci, who was kind enough to step in at the last minute after a cancellation on the night. Melissa was visiting Crystal Ship as part of a cultural exchange with her project Art. So I'm Melissa Cucci. As you can hear, I'm originally from Belgium, from the French side, from Brussels. And my story with, the, with public art and street art started when I was 11. I was living in the street and uh, in front of a place, we had an abandoned building and some people were squatting there. And uh, one day, a terrible fire started and uh, obviously people tried to get out of the building and a lot of people lost life. And a few weeks after that, some people and some artists all around the city arrived in the, in the street and started painting the street and honorate the terrible event that happened. And I was young and it's kind of, uh, you know, mark me and even still these days, I'm like, wow, it was quite a powerful experience. And in 2012-11, I moved to South Africa in Cape Town where I went for holiday and I never left. And I'm like, ah, you know, let me try to do something here and um, kind of, um, you know, moving city it allowed you to get back within yourself and uh, it went back and I went back through my route and who I was really and uh, unfortunately I met uh, Alex, Alexander Tillmans who is my partner in, in Bazart. We founded Bazart together in uh, 2017 and uh, we both believed obviously with different background. He has a finance background but we both believed into the power of public art and what we can say through it. For some of you who might know, South Africa is a country who is still young, recovery from the apartheid, so there is a lot of uh, messages to say. Um, when we started Basel, it was kind of very important for us to have those three pillars that, that we have you know, as motto within our organization, which is community engagement, beautifying the space through public art, and obviously education through art, because we know that art has a powerful, it's a powerful tools. So quickly we identified uh, an area within Cape Town who was in need of a district pillar. Uh, so obviously it was a long work of us going within the community, as you can hear, I have a strong French accent. So it was quite a bit weird for them because, you know, we were knocking on, on, knocking on the door and said, you know, guys, we want to come here and paint murals. And they were like, yeah, but for, to do what? And we're like, no, we have that mission. And they're like, yeah, but you know, a lot of NGOs and organizations came from overseas and tried to do something here was often a one shot and uh, didn't really worked out. So we were like, yeah, no, we're not those people. We moved here, we established here. We really want to do something on the long run with you. And basically now we're seven years down the line and uh, we have done five festivals. So this, this area was an area where, you know, a bit lost within Cape Town. When the textile industry started to get international and, uh, you know, China took over, was quite, you know, in, in South Africa, it started at the end of the 90s. So it's quite still young in that, uh, in that regard, where suddenly all those industries stopped working. So those people find themselves without job. And obviously what say no job, no money, no food. So increase of uh, the violence and uh, the crime. 
And uh, by doing festival year after year after year for five years consecutively, we, we succeed to first of make the, the street a bit safer for the community, but also for the outsider. The kids didn't know at the end of the day how to interact with outsiders and people outside from the area. But following years, they identify and, you know, their sense of belonging to the area become more and more intense. They started to telling story. Oh, you know, I've been there when that artist have painted that hole. This has happened. I did that stroke of brush, you know, since that look, that's a mural we have done at the school, but also on the adult perspective. They were obviously more ears to work in the to walk in the area, and obviously, I mean, it's, psycho it's psychology proven. Color art make people more happy, and now they hear starting speaking about the walls, about the mural, about the experience they had. After one year being in the community, few members of the community approach us and ask us official stories. They, they're starting to asking us a lot of questions about the walls and we're like, wait, maybe you guys can become tour guide. So we facilitated the process for them to become official tour guide of the city of Cape Town. And um, now again, seven years back, we have 70 of them who are turning around and making money out of the tour. So in Bazart, we are 179 active members. When I say that, it's the team, me and my team, we are 12 of us. And uh, all of them, it's all the artists and uh, the people behind the scene. So yeah, that's me. Thank you. Martha Cooper started documenting graffiti as far back as the 60s. As a young photojournalist, she was always armed with a camera and on the lookout for a story, but never could have imagined the legacy her images would leave behind. Through her work, the wider world was given first-hand insight into a community that existed purely in shadow and mythology. The enigmatic artists behind New York's iconic train graffiti were humanized and brought into our world. In this clip, she talks about some of those early moments documenting the culture, sneaking into train yards and her first encounter with the king. The full-length version of this is available on YouTube. If you want to see the photographs and hear the full accounts, this version has been modified for the podcast. So don't worry, you don't need the images to follow along. Well, of course, when I was taking the early pictures of graffiti, I had no idea what kind of impact they would have. I was taking them really for myself. I could never have imagined that 40 years later, I'd be, you know, traveling around and giving lectures about them. Anyway, I grew up in Baltimore, which is about 200 miles south of New York City. My dad had a camera store, and he gave me a camera when I was in nursery school. So this is a picture of me with my first camera and my father in the camera store. And he used to take me on what he called camera runs, basically walking around the city of Baltimore and looking for pictures to take. And I would say that's exactly what I still do. Uh, I decided after that summer that I wanted to be a professional photographer and I got a job with the New York Post. That involved driving around the city to all five boroughs of New York. It was before the era of cell phones, but we had radios and they could call us if there was some news assignment, but when there wasn't a news assignment, I was free to take pictures of anything that I could find. 
And if I could find something interesting, they would use it in the paper. So I began taking pictures of kids on the Lower East Side who were playing in creative ways. And one of the boys who had a pigeon coop uh, showed me his little notebook and told me that he was practicing to put his name on a wall. And his name was He Three. And that was the first time that I understood the things that I was seeing on the wall, the graffiti on the wall, were actually names. I know it, everybody knows that now, but back then, people didn't know that. And so he said that he could introduce me to a king, and the king was Dandi, and he did. We went out to Brooklyn, and he introduced me to Dandi. And when I first met Dandi, he had clipped this article from the New York Post and pasted it into his black book, which is the book that graffiti writers use to practice, uh, because it had a picture of a little girl on a swing with a wall with a tag that he had painted. And I was, I mean, he recognized my name because my name was in the, the credit of this photograph. But I was amazed that I had never imagined that the scrawl that I would see on walls was something that could be identified. And it says CIA, that was the name of his crew, Crazy Inside Artist, inside meaning inside the subway cars. He was so articulate that I decided I wanted to photograph graffiti. So he invited me to his apartment where a group of his friends were practicing in their black books. And I spent a whole afternoon taking pictures of them drawing. And he explained to me that he would never paint a train unless he had a camera. And of course, the cameras that he had were cardboard cameras that he stole from like the drugstore. This was my entree into graffiti because I could take better pictures. And so I was able to always give back pictures to the writers. They call themselves writers, the artists. That was my connection because I'm not an artist myself. I'm a photographer. I'm a documentary photographer. I don't consider myself an artist. So after that day, I, I desperately wanted to go to the yards and see exactly how these trains were painted. And so he, he took me. We had to sneak into the yard, but it also allowed me to understand exactly how these trains were painted, because in one night, this is the train that he was painting that night, in one night they could cover an entire car, and you can see in this car that the window where the conductor sat has been cleaned, but the rest of the car is in good condition. Probably only lasted one or two days before all the windows would be clean, and then after that they would pull the car out of service. So it was really a challenge to take pictures of these whole cars, they're called top-to-bottom whole cars, um, before they were cleaned. And I began going up to the Bronx and spending hours and hours and hours just waiting in vacant lots for these trains to go by in the hopes that I would see a freshly painted train. So about this time, just the early beginnings of hip hop um, were happening and I started going to some clubs and on the left-hand side, you can see Doe's uh, breaking and that's Keith Haring um, watching him 
in in the I think he's wearing a blue shirt and I do credit Keith with kind of inspiring he, there's a, a crossover between graffiti and street art and Keith was friendly with a lot of graffiti writers but he also was doing his own art on the street at the time and I think a lot of other artists saw that at the time there was very little art on the street and Keith there was a big wall on Houston Street and Keith painted it illegally or that is without permission and I would say this is this was the dawn of street art maybe in the world I mean there were lots of examples that you can point to of a little bit of of public art on outside but I think this was really um, this wall became well known and inspired a lot of artists to go out and paint themselves because at the time if you were an artist in New York City and you wanted to get a gallery for example you had to take pictures of your art and then you had to go to the gallery with a portfolio and then you had to drop off your portfolio and then you they would tell you to pick it up maybe in two days and you would pick it up but you would never know whether they had actually looked at it or not and this was a way you could just put your work out on the street it was it's open to everybody and after Keith painted this wall there was a lot of street art okay so the different a few differences between street art and graffiti a lot of people sort of think that they, they think they're the same thing I don't think they're the same thing at all graffiti pieces are all about letters and okay there might be a, a character thrown in and in this case the character is the I but if there aren't letters it's not considered really graffiti style and in fact a lot of graffiti writers don't want to call it graffiti anymore they want to call it style writing which is a pretty appropriate term whereas street art uh, is generally about images so back in the day you had if you wanted a big marker you probably had to make it yourself and you made it from a shoe polish bottle and if you needed different kinds of caps to make wide spray or narrow spray you had to find out uh, like which oven cleaner in the supermarket had that kind of spray and then you would seal that the cap off of the spray from the supermarket now they manufacture amazing kinds of markers specifically for graffiti and caps so there's some countries that don't have access to these kinds of materials and that particularly interests me when I'm photographing and what I like about photographing street art is that I get to see this art being produced because once the art is finished you have no idea how it was painted and sometimes the way it was painted is like so difficult and and so ingenious and uh, you just can't tell to be able to see him at work you know that was to me it's a real privilege to be able to watch an artist at work even because probably artists don't even want to be watched while they're working so and to be able to photograph him it's it's a lot of fun because that's going to disappear um, I'm still very interested in illegal graffiti and I worked a lot with the one-up crew whenever I can I like to go out painting trains this is a train in Moscow 
it turns out if you just bribe the guard, it's easy to paint a train in, in Russia. Lots of trains in Belgium. So I was here in 2021, and I went train painting in broad daylight in Belgium. Nobody stopped us, and that's that.